Throughout the majority of this last year, we have been journeying in and out of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, uh, and we, it's kind of wild to think about. We actually only have a, a, a few weeks left, and then we will have said through this year, we'll have, we'll have spent about 30, 35 weeks in Romans. Right now, we're in a section of the letter where Paul focuses on our, our life together, on our life together within the church and what that means for us as a community, what it means for how we live with one another and talking about when we live in Christ, when we live as a community in Christ together, the sort of impact that has on the world around us. So this morning we're picking up in chapter 14, right at the beginning, starting in verse 1, we read this. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than the other. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account to ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of my my favorite memories and and stories from the many times that I have spent, uh, many times I've been to Malawi, all revolve around food. Uh, JR has a saying, and uh, he he talks about it when he's talking about ministry. He said, in ministry, you you go places, you do things, and you eat. And that's what you do. We have a lot of stories that are created around, around food. Now, I've, I've come to appreciate Malawi's staple dish. It's, it's something called nsema. It's, it, it's a, a corn paste of sorts. It's, it, it's really tasteless. But I've come to appreciate it because when you pair it with the right side, it actually, actually is, is, is pretty enjoyable, somewhat enjoyable. 
During my, my first short-term trip to the, the country, I noticed a, a, right after we got away from the airport, kids running up and down the main road carrying something on a stick. And I didn't know what it was that they were carrying on a stick. And I, I rolled down the windows and you could hear, Mbewa, Mbewa, Mbewa. I was like, what, what, what's Mbewa? What, it's Malawian sausage or field mouse on a stick. Then there was the time my parents flew in for a visit while Haley and I were living there. The first thing we did was, was take them to a, a wedding in a remote village, and I'll never forget the look on my mom's face. When we, we, we went to this wedding, and they brought out a massive pile of rice on a plate and, and put it right in front of my mom and dad to share, of course. And my mom said, where's the utensils? And I went like this. <laughs> they're, they're, they're right here. One of my most memorable moments came on a porch in front of a hut in a village when a woman who was making a a mead of sorts, a a beer of sorts, out of mustard leaves called Tobwa. Through a a translator, she, she told me that she brewed it and sold it to pay for her son to go to college. She hadn't been to church since she started brewing this, this Tobwa because she wouldn't be welcome in the church if they knew what she did to pay for her son to go to college. Now, the majority of Christians, they they don't drink alcohol in Malawi, and especially not in rural villages. So when I told the translator and the the woman on the porch that I was a pastor and that I wanted to try this, this maize mead, there was this look on their face of, you can't do that, you're a pastor. And then I went on to say, well, actually, in other parts of the world, Christians do drink sometimes in moderation. They were baffled. There's nothing quite like sharing the parable of the mustard seed with a woman in a village who wasn't welcome in the church as she sat surrounded by mustard leaves. And yet, when you talk to Malawians about what we eat here, there's equal confusion. There's equal confusion. I didn't want to leave a picture of Mbewa up there for, for too long, but, but there it is. When I made a comment to my friend Vasco, who some of you met, he preached here at my installation five years ago, or four years ago. Um, it, when I made a comment about this, 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 this mouse on a, a stick, I said, Mbewa, he said, well, you all eat lobster. And I said, lobster? There's a huge, he said, lobster, they, they, they graze on the bottom of the ocean. Why why would you eat lobster? Now, the church has always struggled with challenges of of bringing multiple cultures into one conversation, bringing people from different backgrounds into the same community of faith. Food is really just just one example of that reality. My guess is uh, if, if after church we were to all get together for a potluck or if we were to all show up, all of us show up at, at one of your houses and we were to all bring different foods, that we would have different dishes. And, and we'd look at it and we'd say, oh, that's interesting. Some of us would like it, some of us wouldn't. When you bring people together from different backgrounds, there are, are challenges. So on, on one hand here, uh, if Paul had written to the church in Rome and, and, and tried to make it abundantly clear, just kind of set the ground rules very clear, and he said, you know what, Jewish Christians, you do this. Gentile Christians, you need to do that. On the one hand, if he did that, it would have made things a whole lot easier. But it also would have set up barriers. 
It would have said, hey, you're in, you're out. If you, if you don't adhere to, to this food law, if you don't observe the Sabbath on this day, you, you, you're, you're out. So instead, he, he says, you need to learn how to discern what is most important. And you need to learn how to, to, to deal with disagreements with one another when they arise. So on, on Tuesday this past week, our, our staff had a, a discussion about a chapter in a book that we are reading together. And at one point in the conversation, uh, it, it turned towards setting priorities, setting priorities for ourselves, setting priorities for, for our church. And, and Portia, who works a couple of days a week in the office, she, she talked about a, a mentor that she once had who said, uh, if, if we as a church can't come up with an explanation for something we do, if we can't describe what we do, wh- whether it's a mission program, whether it's a social event, whether it's a, a worship service or, or anything else, if we can't describe what we do and, and it doesn't get to, it's to help people to know Jesus within the first two sentences, then why are we doing it? Then why are we doing it? It caused us all to kind of sit back and pause for a minute. But the truth is, that's the same sort of conversation our our Vision 2020 team had here uh, three, four four years ago when we were trying to figure out who we are as a church and, and where are we going as a church. That's when we landed on the inviting all people to follow Jesus on a journey of faith, friendship, and service. If, if we are not seeing all that we do through that journey, through the lens of inviting people to, to engage with Jesus, then what are we doing? So if that's what's, what's most important, what happens with everything else? What happens when we have a disagreement? How should our elders and deacons handle them when they make decisions? How should our staff handle them when they come up in the, the day-to-day of our, our, our church family? What about when, when two people are just talking in the courtyard after church? What, what about then? What about when it comes up in home? None of you have any disagreements at home, right? How, how do we handle them? How do we handle them together? So Paul, he, he, uh, he essentially... He essentially uh, uses the common laws around food and about around Sabbath to, to, to set a, a tone or to give three instructions for discernment. And as he writes, we're given a guide for how we can discern our, our, our disputes today while remembering what is most important. He starts with, with instructing the church in Rome to act out of, out of their deep conviction. Now, there's a a pretty big difference between doing something out of a sense of convention, a convention of public opinion, uh, 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 common consensus out of convention, and a deep conviction. When we respond to the pressures around us and make decisions based on, on hearsay or what might be popular, we act out of convention. It's the place we find ourselves when our decision-making is guided first and foremost about what other people might think about the decision that we are making. Now, responding from a place of conviction, on the other hand, it requires deep thought, careful evaluation. And it often means making an unpopular decision that might even ruffle the feathers of the congregation a bit. 
Paul wants his readers to, to take the issues of their day very seriously. And at the same time, he reminds them to see them through that lens. What is most important? Now, cleanliness laws were, were definitely important to the people with Jewish backgrounds. But I don't really think he, he cared what they ate. He cared more about how they came to their decision about what they, what they ate. Now, it might sound funny, but, but this plays out here all the time at Westminster. And it plays out all the time within our denomination. Our, our ruling elders, they're, they're nominated and elected by the congregation. And while it's a goal to have a session that is representative of the congregation, when elders come to session, they are tasked with voting their conscience. Not with voting thinking, hey, this is what the church is going to think. They're taxed with tasked with voting their conscience. Now, within our denomination, whether it's commissioners to the regional presbytery or to the national body, the General Assembly that Daryl mentioned during the prayer, commissioners aren't supposed to vote on issues thinking, you know what, this is how my, my congregation would want me to vote. They're called to vote their conscience. It's not about appeasing one group or another. It's about discerning where God is leading. And the most important question in that discernment is, what does this decision say about our faith in Christ? What does it say about how we're following Jesus? Then Paul writes, why do you judge your brother and sister? And he quotes Isaiah. He says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess that I am the one true God. There's a a stern reminder to be careful with, with how we We judge other people. Ultimately, he writes in this section that God is the judge anyway. When we get emotionally involved with a disagreement, it's it's hard to not let our our feelings, maybe feelings of resentment, feelings of frustration, feelings of anger, not, not help us to look at somebody else and say, oh, they're on the other side. And then sometimes we, we, we turn to belittling the other, disagreeing with the other, thinking nasty thoughts about the other. And so last night, uh, I was watching the Padres and, and Mets play the second game of their, their playoff series to see who the Dodgers will play later this week. And, and I know you all are mostly Dodgers fans. I know there's a Giants fan in, in the congregation. I, I know we're mostly Dodger fans, but just for today... Pastor Appreciation Day, which I just found out about. You can pull for the Padres. You can pull for the Padres. So, so uh, I am a long-suffering Padres fan, and it's been a long time since the Padres has, have played in the, a playoff series. And the, the umpire, he was making terrible call after terrible call after terrible call last night. The little strike zone on, on you know, the box on my, on my TV was, was saying, oh, he's missing calls left and right. Before long, instead of complaining about the calls that he was making, that guy is awful. My son's looking at me like, Dad, you tell me not to say that. Instead of complaining about the calls, I'm complaining about, about him. It quickly turned personal. I don't even know the guy. I don't even, I some guy on the, I don't even know him. A couple of years ago, we, we read a, a book together while we were, we were doing a, a series, a sermon series called uh, Uncomfortable Conversations. And we, we read a book called Thou Shall Not Be a Jerk. 
And, and in that book, there's, there's a, a story that's told by the, the author who's a pastor in, in Seattle um, about uh, something that happened in, in 2016 where a, a group of people got together and they said, you know what, we're going to start something where people just get together to have dinner and we're going to call it Make, Make America Dinner Again. And in the middle of that, they took people who were far on the right and people who were far on the left, and they sat them down to have a meal together. And you know what they learned? Those other people, those villains, those awful people, they're actually human beings. They're actually human beings, and you know what? They're not all that awful. Now, it's one thing when that sort of projecting, vilifying the other happens with sports or with a politician that we don't know. But Paul here is really talking about judging others within the church. And as much as we would like to think that it doesn't happen here at WPC or at other churches, it it, it does. And it should break our collective hearts that it happens. So what I'd ask of us, just, just on the really practical level is that every time you feel that frustration or that that judgment coming up about somebody who might be sitting in this this room this morning or who's a part of our our congregation uh, and and isn't here this morning it's really simple just remember that they are human that that person is created in the image of god that we're all learning We're, we're all growing and you know what as we grow We all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Each one of us here is in need of a little grace, and each one of us here can afford to offer others a little grace. In verses 14 and 15, Paul encourages us to to see the other side of whatever the issue it is that is, is dividing us, whatever the issue is that's causing anxiety and dissension. And to make sure it's not getting in the way of someone else's relationship with Jesus. He, he, he says, look, there's nothing, there's nothing fundamentally right or, or wrong about what you eat or the day that you take your Sabbath. But other people might not see it that way. And it definitely doesn't mean you should impose your view on someone else. So one of my, my favorite uh, scholars, N.T. Wright, when he, he writes about this passage, he uses an illustration that we probably can't fully understand or appreciate here in Southern California. He tells a story of a boy who wanted to earn an allowance, and this boy goes to his dad and says, Dad, I'd like to earn my, my allowance. And his dad says, okay, there's a ton of snow outside. There's a ton of snow outside. Let's, let's go and I'll teach you how to shovel the driveway. The proud dad taught his son. He he watched him work as as the boy finished. He put his arm around his son. He said, good job. Let's go have some hot chocolate. You've definitely earned your allowance. As he's walking back up the path to his house, the the next door neighbor who doesn't live too far away stood in the garage with the the door open and he watched a, a pile of snow accumulate. In his his front yard as the boy shoveled snow from one yard into the next yard. And he saw the two of them walking back into the house and he says, hey, hey, enjoy that hot chocolate. But when you're done, can you come and clean up the mess you made in my yard? Paul's main concern here has to do with clearing our own path, making our own journey easier at the expense of someone else. 
making it harder for them as we make it easier for ourselves. Simply put, does the way we live out our faith help or hinder others who are on their own journey of faith? It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to change our convictions or, or give up on those, those things, but it does mean we have to think about how our actions impact other people. So as we discern what's essential for ourselves and, and for our church, there's, there's definitely a, a degree of wiggle room. I believe Paul's clear with that here. And in the same way that, that he acknowledged the variety of cultures that made up the church in Rome, we need to acknowledge that we all come from different places. But as we act out of our convection, conventions, convictions, as we we check our judgment and as we aim to see the perspective of others, there's one area that Paul doesn't leave much wiggle room at all. He writes, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We belong to the Lord. The problem that Paul faced with both the, the, the Jewish Christians in the church in Rome and the Gentile Christians who were there is that both groups were trying to show that they were, they were better than one another. They were, they were trying to take glory on their way of living out their faith. And he's trying to draw them back into what's most important. So whether we, we eat meat or we don't, whether we enjoy lobster or whether we eat field mouse, whether we drink mead from fermented mustard greens or fine wine or not, and whether we, we celebrate Sabbath on Saturday or Sunday or, or Monday, all that we do is supposed to glorify God. Everything that we do is supposed to glorify God. So as we aim to discern what's most essential, let's remember who we are. Let's remember our backgrounds. We all have different backgrounds. But let's also remember whose we are, who we are called to glorify in all that we do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.